Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's episode is going to be called Divination and Idolatry Warning. And it's not just going to be a warning, I'm going to be talking about the differences between divination, praying the word, and how divination also relates to idolatry. Now, this topic came to be because initially I was going to join Glenda Lomax for the Idolatry podcast, but I told her to go ahead and do that without me because at the time I was working on sorting some things out while seeking the Lord, and he put it on my heart that I needed to talk about the spirit of divination. So it was revealed to me that in addition to idols, many are seeking out what they want to hear and leaning into their own counsel in regards to familiar spirits instead of seeking the Lord out first. So I will be getting into the topic of divination in addition to idolatry, which will be in the latter part. And I'm actually going to have Sister Mel on for that part. So for those who don't know, what is the definition of divination? Divination, as defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is the art or practice that seeks to foresee or foretell future events or discover hidden knowledge usually by the interpretation of omens or or by the aid of supernatural powers. In plain words, it's sorcery and witchcraft. A necromancer is an example. A psychic is an example. Horoscopes are an example. Tarot cards, that's an example. Those who cast spells, for example, are participating in divination. Those who curse are practicing divination. Those who practice or have been involved in rituals, whether knowingly or unknowingly, have been subjected to divination. And really, it's a form of occultism. Brainwashing is an act of divination, which is why we must be careful as to whom we associate with, as well as what we're allowing access to our mind and spirit. You know, in other words, what we're feeding it. Entertainment, for example, can be a source of divination. And you may recall back in March, I spoke to movies and music being a big one in a podcast I did titled, Are You Really Walking in His Ways? I spent a whole segment on that. It's well known, for example, that many artists and stars take part in divination and make hand gestures to symbolize it. The entertainment is used to literally put a spell on the unsuspecting populace, which in turn creates a normalcy bias or complacency, even as current end times events are starting to play out around us. You know, the bottom line is, it's a spirit of Antichrist. It's a spirit of do as thou wilt, selfish gains. Live for now. Don't worry about this, that, and the other, and so on. That's not the same as not worrying and only having faith for the day. Live for now means you have no care in the world and just do whatever you want. Tell me what I want to hear rather than what I need to hear. It's a deceptive spirit that plagues many, and it leads them off the path of righteousness. You know, in regards to entertainment alone, we're drawn to entertainment as a way to unplug from what's happening around us. And so you can see how that can work as a form of mind control. And if it's not kept in check, that can also become an idol, which we really need to be careful with. And it's also a distraction. So it's doing two separate things right there. 
And at the same time, if you're not careful about what you listen to and watch, it can influence you and those around you. And why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because when the judgments come and the miracles begin, there will be those who will persecute the true believers, those who are truly righteous. They will actually accuse those who are against divination and witchcraft and doing the Lord's work of being evil. You only have to look at Matthew 12, verses 22 through 28, to see when the Pharisees did that to Jesus. Starting on verse 22, Then a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man both spoke and saw. All the people wondered in amazement and said, Could this be the son of David? In other words, the Messiah. But the Pharisees heard it and said, This man casts out demons only by the help of Beelzebub, Satan, the prince of demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom that is divided against itself is being laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will continue to stand. And I'm reading from the Amplified, by the way, in case you're wondering. Verse 26, If Satan casts out Satan, and that is his demons, he has become divided against himself and disunited. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out the demons by the help of Beelzebub, Satan, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, that is, before you expected it. So there's those who believe that those who have the ability to heal or cast out demons as performing witchcraft or some form of divination. And just remember Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, quoting Matthew 6, verses 22 through 23, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, those who do not believe in the healing miracles of Jesus are deceived and cannot see how deep the darkness really is themselves because they're controlled by it. And why is that? Simply put, they've been misled. It's unbelief. Unbelief in the word. Unbelief that there are no consequences for continued rebellion and so on. You know, they want to go on believing that they're okay when they're not. And really, they're being misled by divination. Now, we can get onto a whole new topic of unbelief, but there are those out there who do not believe in the power of the word or using the word as their sword or think that it's unnecessary to use the word as their weapon. Spiritual warfare and using the true word of God versus divination are two separate things. You can pray God's word, and it does produce results. People can and have been healed. They can and have been delivered. I even did a podcast where I declared 40 verses of healing. Now, on the flip side of the coin, back in April, you all heard Sister Mel talk about the secret. And in that same podcast, she spoke of fiery trials, of which we are in right now. The secret is the name it and claim it type of doctrine, and that's New Age. Or putting up, like, I'm just going to pretend that nothing's going on and everything's going to be fine. You know, putting up the whole little force field and believing the lies that 
no harm will come if you just do this or that. That is a form of divination, and many accept it because it's a familiar spirit. It's comfortable to them, and it requires barely any effort. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody ever said that a battle was easy. And you can pretend as much as you want, but overall, the days of easy living for many, they're gone. They're long gone. And if you continue to think otherwise, you may be in divination, idolatry, or flat-out pride and denial. And you might want to reflect on that. A lot of the church has invited in these spirits. It's been adulterated and confused that praying the word of God for our every need and situation has no power or that you just need to ask for what you need. It's like, and yes, you can pray and ask for what you need, but there's some who don't know the power of praying the word or they've never been taught at all. And so it's foreign to them or they're in unbelief about it. The danger in this is it's confusing new believers about using the word for their every need and for a weapon against the principalities, against the powers, dark rulers of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And in case anyone hasn't noticed, there's a lot of that going on right now. They also don't seem to believe too much in spiritual gifts or dismiss them and try to accuse the true prophets of being in divination when it's actually the opposite. It's those prophesying that everything's going to be fine and la-di-da, just go about your life and do whatever you want. It's those prophesying peace and that only good will come to you that you ought to be cautious of because there's a lot of people in sin right now. What sounds good may not always be in your best interest. And as many are in fear, they're choosing instead to settle for the familiar spirits because it's easier to hear that rather than to wait on and suffer for the Lord so as to receive his instructions, his direction. If you fall for the familiar divination spirit now and continue to reject God's way of doing things, how will you know how to discern the Antichrist? Because do not think that he will not cause and make the situation so enticing so as to mislead many to forfeit their salvation in the name of comfort and what's familiar. Do you see now why this is dangerous? This spirit is running rampant, and folks, we are and have been in a season of intense refining. Some have even entered a wilderness. You know, those submitting will be there for less time, but those who continue to run from God's chastening are going to find out that it's not the wisest choice. You know, if you all remember, Glenda and I did a podcast some time ago talking about when our fathers would get the belt out and how you don't want that from Abba. And it's important to mention that because if you continue to stubbornly go your own way when God is repetitively trying to chasten or reprove you because he loves you, there's going to be consequences. You know, if you're going through a rough time right now, consider your behaviors and reflect on any sins you may have done recently and begin confessing them when you pray. But don't just confess them. The Lord wants to see you turn from them and sin no more. A divination spirit will tell you all is well, and will even go as far as trying to convince you God is pleased even while you are still deeply rooted in sin. The reality is, God is being patient. A true prophet or prophetess generally will prophesy hard truths. They will appeal and lay out God's case against the backslidden and unsaved alike. They'll lay out what's wrong spiritually so as a means to correct and warn 
what is to come if a rebellious people do not turn around. You know, a true man of God in the church, you know, such as the pastor, he'll do the same. Not just tell you what you want to hear as a means to line their pockets and then tell you go about your merry little way and then you're going to end up suffering later. Remember, where there's no pain, there's no gain. You may not like hard truths. Some handle them better than others, but better to hear the truth and fear God rather than to be thrown into an eternal pit of darkness. And that's another issue we have. There are those who believe there is no hell. Well, if that's the case, why did Jesus make reference to it in Matthew 10, 28, when he said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. If hell is not real, why did Jesus say we should only fear he who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell if it doesn't exist? Given the time we live in, we definitely should be in obedience as there is not room for compromise. And we need to be careful, guys, about making a God in our own image. We are advised to enter in through the narrow gate as we do not want to be thrown in where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look, the Lord is a merciful God and he wants righteous living, but he's also a just and righteous God and he'll recompense us in accordance to what we've done. He's being patient for our sake and he wants all to come to repentance and we want to be walking close to him. Romans 2 Verses 4 through 11 says, Or do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience? And that is in withholding his wrath. Are you unaware or ignorant that God's kindness leads you to repentance? And that is to change your inner self, your old way of thinking. See his purpose for your life. But because of your callous stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are, deliberately, storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will pay back to each person according to his deeds. And that's justly as his deeds deserve. To those who by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give the gift of eternal life. But for those who are selfishly ambitious and self-seeking and disobedient to the truth, but responsive to wickedness, there will be wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and anguish that is torturing confinement for every human soul who does, or permits, evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and inner peace will be given to everyone who habitually does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And that means, you know, no arbitrary favoritism with him one person is not more important than another. Now, Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You know, on that note alone, I read from Matthew 6 earlier, verses 22 and 23. But verse 24, when you look at that, Verse 24, Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, whatever your idol is, whatever your ideal is, you have to choose who and what you truly believe. You do not get a pass to stay in the middle and on the fence. 
I mean, Jesus even said, when I return, will I find faith? You know, that means whoever's still here, whoever hasn't been called home before he returns. And nobody knows the day or the hour. I know people were setting dates just a few weeks ago. You notice that we're all still here. So, you know, be careful what you're listening to. And if you do not believe the truth, then what do you have? So going back to believing divination, new age, all that. What's another reason it's wrong? Because it has the capacity to make our faith useless if we're not constantly sharpening our sword with the truth found in the word of God. And that's going to be dangerous in what comes if we don't learn it in the time we have left. You know, there's a reason I began the God's Promises series. And there's a reason promise books exist so everything is concise when you need it. It's easy for study. It's easy for using when you don't have your Bible around. And they're really small. Actually, half the time you can carry them with you. We're given the authority to fight against unclean spirits using the word of God. And that includes familiar spirits. We have everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. You know, it's God's handbook, the Bible. We're to pray for discernment and ask for wisdom in anything we encounter. We're told to test the spirits. First John 4 verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Remember, the devil masquerades as an angel of light and is the author of confusion and deception. Satan wants you powerless, and his time is short. So don't you think that it makes sense he's going to send a decoy or a fraud of what's real? Don't you think that makes sense in discerning what's going on here? True believers use the word for protection. We can use it for provision. We use it to fight off attacks. We use it to water the good seed we've sown so as to reap the harvest later on. We use it to rebuke unclean spirits. We use it to hand rebellious thoughts captive to Jesus and correct wrong ways of thinking. It feeds our spirit. It's our direction. It's our discernment, and it's our weapon. It's our daily bread. Those who know this explain it for your benefit. It's to build you up, not tear you down, like some so-called fantasy or divination or witchcraft. We need to work toward becoming spiritually mature, not like baby Christians cowering in a corner in fear and running toward whatever makes us feel better when things get just a little bit uncomfortable. Just know that hearing these truths now will pale in comparison to what's coming. And really, these things are already in progress because we're in a spiritual battle right now, and this needs to be learned. It's you, the listener, who must be willing to take that step forward. I can lead the horse to water, but I can't force it to drink. It's just like repentance. I can talk about what's coming, but if I warn you and you choose to dismiss it in the favor of what you want to hear or divination, a familiar spirit, or an idol, then that's on you at that point. In regards to the word as a weapon, this is covered in the whole armor of God. And we look at Ephesians 6, specifically verses 11 through 17, which say, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, 
that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Would you not say you would want your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Because think about it. What's coming is destruction. We're going to need to remember the verses of peace. We're going to need that shield of faith because they've got plans, okay? Satan's got plans to lead many Christians astray. He's already doing it. That's why this had to be covered. Think about it. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And what about when Jesus rebuked Satan? Matthew 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We can also look at Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, how could you do that without money and without price? Think about that. Wherefore, do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. So, you know, his word provides what we need and it glorifies him and it shows the unbelieving what the Lord does that he is our provider, that he is our savior, that there is glory in him and in knowing him. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So, then verse 11, this is key. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So whether it's spiritual warfare or whether it's provision, protection, whatever. How many pray Psalm 91, for example? You believe it. You pray it. So you need to believe that that's God's protection. And he honors that when you pray it, just like any other word that you pray. He honors it if you speak life to the situation you're in. 
but there's those who don't want to believe it. So in the instance of Psalm 91, for those of us who pray that, we know that the Lord is protecting us because we have faith in his word. So if we believe his word, why are we afraid to use it for our needs? Why are we doubting and then calling it something else? Back to Psalm 55, verse 12. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And like I said, it brings him the glory and it shows the unbelieving his power. There is power in the word. And it's amazing how some will deny that. They will deny the power that will make them godly. You know, they, they're essentially, if you're denying the word and that it produces these results, you got to be careful with that because in a way you're almost denying God. And that's a dangerous, slippery road to be on. You know, if you're struggling with belief, pray Psalm 5511. Heavenly Father, your word says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Lord, please show me the power of your word, and that it will accomplish whereto I send it. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple. Simple prayer. You know, if you've never done it before, if you're not sure and you want to test it. And I'm not saying you're going to get an answer right away. Because some people pray like, oh, I didn't get an answer. It's like, you got to keep praying. You don't stop praying just because you don't get an answer right away. There's things people are waiting for all over the world, guys. But you don't stop just because. But that might be a prayer right there that, produces results, especially for somebody who's never done it before. But you need to start by believing, first off, that you'll receive an answer to that prayer to begin with, that he'll show you in some way. You might declare in, I don't know, say some sort of provision you need. You might pray a verse such as Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10, as I have honored you with my possessions and the first fruits of all my increase, I know my barns will be filled with plenty and there won't be any lack in my house. What you just did there, if you prayed that, is you declared it. That's just one example out of many. And if you're not sure about the others, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcasts I did on God's promises. Because there's a reason I told you to get a promise book. There is power in the word. And when we pray the word, not only are we storing it in our hearts for each time we need it, because if you think about it, guys, in the future, the way things are going, they're going to try to ban the word. They're going to outlaw it. People have had visions. They've had, they've had prophetic dreams on this. I had a prophetic dream on it. It's up on my dreams tab. But you want to have that stored in your heart so that if you're in some sort of situation of lack, Lord, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. So you'd pray something like that. You would declare in what you need. And there's several verses that you can declare different things or wage war on 
different spirits. The biggest problem in the church, a lot of it, is we don't believe in the power and what the word really says. It's a, it's a form of unbelief, really, when you stop and think about it, that we can use it for a weapon or provision or protection or healing, for example. So we need to realize that and not be supporting divination or confusing it with actual spiritual warfare or praying God's word for our every need. And I think it's important that we clarify that. And now by using that example, that doesn't mean that, you know, God's just an ATM that you just call on him for gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, he wants you to totally learn his word and use it, but for many different things, you know, not just when you need something. But that was one example that, because that's going to be an important one going forward. And those are only really like three verses right there. But if you're not sure, ask him to show you. He's going to be doing many miracles for the unbelieving. But those who've been told if they continue to not believe it, well, I don't know what to say about that. That's going to be, you know, up to the Lord to decide how to teach them or show them. Using the word as your weapon or for your needs is not to be confused with divination, soothsaying, or witchcraft. Anyone who is under that impression needs to be gently reminded, corrected, and repent. And when it happens in a church, it's usually because there's an agenda attached so as to enrich those who preach it. And this does go on, guys. Do you remember what I said about the secret? That's very rampant in not all, but many churches, especially in the United States. And it's usually to make money off of the unsuspecting who know no better. That is why, as true believers, it's our duty to call it out when we see it. And for some, there may be persecution, like I was saying at the beginning. And this actually happened to Paul and Silas, too, when they were imprisoned for calling out a deceptive spirit. You know, it was the slave girl who professed to be a prophet, but what she was actually practicing was witchcraft. And we read about that in Acts 16, verses 16 through 24. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So they were attacked verbally, beaten, thrown down, and sent to prison. But Later on, if you continue on in Acts 16, God sent them free when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. And it was actually the magistrates who locked them up that came and set them free because they and the officers saw the power of God 
and they knew that God was on Paul and Silas' side. But the moral of the story is they were persecuted for telling the truth when they commanded out the spirit of divination because it affected the prophet's master's pocketbook. And so I talked about the church confusing people with divination earlier, and the short of it is telling people what they want to hear, you know, the tickling of the ears and its other deceitful practices. That's not true prophecy. And that is not praying the word. And I've now laid out the differences. And when I have Mel on, she's going to talk more about that in a little bit. But God is against divination, and he judges it harshly because of the damage it does. It's misleading, and it needs to stop because there's judgment coming for those who practice it, those who believe it. And it's not pretty at all. There are a lot of false prophets running around telling people what they want to hear. They say, you'll have this, you'll have that. And when those with itching ears hear it, when they come to find out it's not true, the damage is already done. And in fact, it's incredible damage because of the confusion it instills. And it can cause people to lose faith because then they don't know what to believe. And at a crucial time such as this, when there's many who have never been a believer or there's many who are backslidden or they want to know the truth, do you see how that can do damage to someone? Because then when what was prophesied doesn't happen, they lose hope. They lose faith. And so what does God say about divination? Let's look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. And that is as a sacrifice. See a lot of that going on. One who uses divination and fortune telling. One who practices witchcraft. Or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. Or one who casts a charm or spell or a medium or a spiritist, or a necromancer, that is, someone who seeks the dead. For everyone who does these things is utterly repulsive to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless, and that means complete and perfect, before the Lord your God. And actually, that was also adding verse 13 in there. So let's look at the judgment for divination since we're entering into it. Jeremiah 14. Verses 13 through 22. And if you want to know where this is, it's referenced under Judah's terrible drought under false prophets. And that's starting on verse 13. But I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, the false prophets are telling them, You will not see the sword, nor will you have famine. But I, the Lord, will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, The counterfeit prophets are prophesying lies in my names. I have never sent them, nor authorized them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you made-up visions, that is, pretending to call forth responses from handmade gods, a worthless divination, and the deceit of their own mind. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the false prophets who are prophesying in my name, although I did not send them, yet they keep saying, Sword and famine shall not be in this land, and by sword and famine those prophets shall meet their end and be consumed. And the people to whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem, America, victims of famine and sword, and they will have no one to bury them, neither them, nor their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them, and not only on the impostors posing as prophets, for the people could not have been deceived without their own consent. That means the people willingly ate it up. 
they willingly swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. Then we go on in verse 17. Therefore, Jeremiah, you will say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them never cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been crushed with a great blow, with a very serious and severely infected wound. If I go out into the field, then I gaze on those slaughtered with the sword. And if I enter the city, then I gaze on those tormented with the diseases of famine. For both prophet and priest, who should have guided the people, go about, bewildered and exiled, in a land, Babylon, that they do not know or understand. You know, because they've been, they're puzzled because they've been saying the opposite of what's actually happening. Have you, O Lord, completely rejected Judah? Do you loathe Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace and completeness, but nothing came. And we hoped for a time of healing, but behold, terror. We know and acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not treat us with contempt and condemn us for your own name's sake. Do not disgrace your glorious throne. Remember with consideration and do not break your solemn covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations who can send rain? Or can the heavens of their own will give showers? Is it not you, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait and hope confidently in you. For you are the one who has made all these things. So moving on a chapter to Jeremiah 15, verses 1 through 10 so as to not take any of this out of context in how the Lord replied to Jeremiah. Starting on Jeremiah 15.1, Then the Lord said to me, Even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, interceding for them, my heart would still not be turned with favor toward this people, Judah, America. Send them away from my presence and out of my sight and let them go. And it shall be when they say to you, Where should we go? Then tell them, thus says the Lord, Those destined for death to death. Those for the sword, to the sword. Those for famine, to famine. Those for captivity, to captivity. I will appoint four kinds of destroyers over them, says the Lord. The sword to slay, the dogs to tear and drag away, and the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will make them an object of horror to all nations of the earth because of Manasseh, the despicable son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for the evil and detestable things which he did in Jerusalem. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will mourn for you? Or who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? You have abandoned me, says the Lord. You keep going backward. Therefore, I shall stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am tired of delaying your punishment. I will winnow, and that is sort and separate, them with a winnowing fork at the gates of the land. I will deprive them of children. I will destroy my people. They did not repent and turn from their evil ways. I will make their widows more numerous before me than the sand of the seas. I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a destroyer at noonday. I will suddenly cause anguish and terror to fall on her. That sounds very familiar, by the way, that dream that many rounds had. Just saying. Could be that, could be anything. But going on in verse 9, still in Jeremiah 15. She who has borne seven sons languishes. She has breathed out her soul. Her son has set while it was still day. She has been shamed and humiliated. So I will hand over the rest of the survivors to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. And then Jeremiah responds in verse 10. Woe to me, my mother, that you have given birth to me to be a man of strife and a man of contention to all the earth. I have not loaned, nor have men lent money to me, yet everyone curses me. 
So, you know, there you have it. Even Jeremiah was persecuted when he prophesied to them what the Lord told him to say. Just the same as Paul and Silas. So, do you see how deep the deception goes and how much spiritual blindness there really is? But you have to remember, when Jesus cast out the demon, it was done to him by the Pharisees. We're told to test every spirit, for not every spirit is of God. Let's look at a few more. Isaiah 8, 19. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead? You know, Leviticus 20, verse 6. And this is about those who seek it out. And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits, and after wizards, to go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul, and will cut him off from among his people. That is very serious. Micah chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. I will cut off witchcrafts and sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more fortune tellers. I will also cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you, so that you will no longer worship and bow down to the work of your hands. It's very serious, guys, and when you stop and think about it, that's also a form of idolatry. It's witchcraft, but it's idolatry because those practicing it believe those spirits over the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're denying the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy. And worse, it's leading others to do the same. Now, since we just got done speaking of the judgments for divination, let's address judgment for idolatry. And some of this was already covered in Jeremiah 14 and 15, but let's flip back to Jeremiah chapter 2. This is all about rebellion and not honoring the Lord. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. I remember earnestly the loving kindness and devotion of your youth, your time of Bethel, like that of a bride during the years of Egypt and again in Sinai, when you followed me in the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy, something set apart from ordinary purposes consecrated to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest, in which no outsider was allowed to share, all who ate it, injuring Israel, became guilty. Evil came on them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice or unrighteousness did your fathers find in me, that they have wandered far from me, and habitually walked after emptiness and futility and became empty? They did not say, Where is the Lord, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the deep darkness of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man lived. This is key for us. I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruit and enjoy its good things, but you came and defiled my land and you made my inheritance repulsive. Even the priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who deal with the law given to Moses did not know me. The rulers and shepherds also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by the authority and in the name of Baal, and walked after idolatrous things that did not benefit them. Therefore I will still contend with you by bringing judgment on you, says the Lord, and I will contend with your children's children. For cross over to the coast of Kittim, that's in Cyprus, to the west, and see, 
Send also to Qadar, Arabia, to the east, and carefully observe and consider, and see whether there has been such a thing as this. Has a nation ever changed gods, even though they were not gods, but merely man-made objects? But my people have exchanged their glory, the true God, for that, a man-made idol, which does not benefit them. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and shudder with horror at the behavior of the people, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have carved out their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a slave by birth? Why has he become a captive and a prey? The young lions have roared at him. They have made their voices heard and roared loudly. And they have made his land a waste. His cities have been destroyed and burned ruins without inhabitant. Moreover, the man of Memphis and Tapanes, as powerful enemies, have shaved the crown of your head to degrade you. Have you not brought this on yourself by abandoning, that is, rejecting, the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now what are you doing by going to Egypt in search of an ally to drink the muddy waters of the Nile? Or what are you doing by going to Assyria in search of an ally to drink the muddy waters of the Euphrates? This is key. Verse 19, your own wickedness will discipline you, and your desertion of the faith will punish you. Know, therefore, that it is an evil and bitter thing for you to abandon, that is, reject, the Lord your God, and for you to be indifferent to me and dismiss the reverent fear of me, says the Lord God of hosts. Remember, I was talking about fearing the Lord earlier. Going on in verse 20, for long ago, you broke your yoke in deliberate disobedience, and tore off your bonds of the law that I gave you. You said, I will not serve and obey you. For on every high hill and under every green tree, you have lain down in idolatrous worship like a compliant prostitute. Yet I had planted you, O house of Israel, as a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned against me into degenerate shoots of a foreign and wild vine? And that is, you know, in other words, you're alien to him. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, and you are soiled and dirty, says the Lord God. How can you say, I am not defiled? I have not gone after man-made gods like the Baals. Look at your way in the valley. Know without any doubt what you have done. You are a swift and restless young female camel in the heat of her passion running here and there. Or a wild donkey customized to the wilderness, and it says in parentheses, meaning you have an untamed and reckless nature. Oh, that's, you know, the adultery. That sniffs the wind in her passion for the scent of a mate in her mating season who can restrain her. No males seeking her need to weary themselves. In her month, they will find her looking for them. Cease your mad running after idols. Keep your feet from becoming bare and your throat from becoming dry. But you said, it's hopeless. For I have loved strangers and foreign gods, and I will walk after them. That verse is key right there, verse 25. Remember that for later on in what I'm going to talk about. As the thief is shamed when he is caught, so the house of Israel is shamed. They, their kings, their leaders, their priests, and their prophets, who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their backs to me, and not their faces. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise, O Lord, and save us. But where are your gods? which you made for yourself. Let them get up, if they can save you, in the time of your trouble. For as many as the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Why do not your many man-made idols run to help you? 
Why do you complain and contend with me? You have rebelled against me, says the Lord. In vain, I have punished your people with the consequences of their disobedience. They have received no insight from correction and refused to change. Your own sword has devoured your prophets. What I said earlier, they're going to persecute those telling the truth. Like a destroying lion. O generation that you are, consider and regard carefully the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel, like a land without food? A land of thick and deep darkness? Why do my people say, we will no longer come to you? Can a virgin forget to wear her ornaments? Or a bride her attire that identifies her as a married woman? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number. How well you prepare your path to seek and obtain adulterous love. Even the most wicked of women have learned indecent ways from you. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor. You did not find them breaking into a house. But in spite of all these things, your disobedience, your love of idolatry, your lack of compassion, yet you keep saying, I'm innocent. Surely his anger has turned away from me. Behold, listen very carefully. I will bring you to judgment and I will plead my case against you because you say, I have not sinned. And yes, there's people out there who believe they do not sin. Yes, there is. Just the same as there's people out there who don't believe hell exists. This is going on in verse 36. Why do you go around and wander so much, changing your way? Also, you will be shamed by Egypt as you were shamed by Assyria. From Egypt also, you will come away as captives with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust, that is confide, and you will not be successful in them. So, like I said, it's very serious, the idolatry. And we need to repent from that. And there's a few other things going on. And I wanted to have Sister Mel on really quick to talk about uh, some of the things that she had been recently reflecting on as to where um, we're at. And it has to do also with divination and idolatry. And so without further ado, welcome to the show, Sister Mel. Thanks for having me. So Mel, you had some things you wanted to talk about because I had told you that I was talking about divination and idolatry. And what was it you were reflecting on? Well, I believe that God is allowing the spirit of divination as a form of humbling for the American church. In 1 Kings 22, 19 to uh, 23, we see God commanding a lying spirit to go into the prophets of Ahab in order to teach Ahab a lesson. God gave Ahab room to repent, and he didn't. Therefore, this was done in order to teach Ahab a lesson. God is using divining spirits to show how some do not obey God or submit to him. They want their will to be done, not God's. They want the blessings without seeking the kingdom of God or its righteousness. God says in his word, he knows what we need. The key word is need, not our wants. God doesn't like divination. And for those who practice or continue in it, they will be given over to it. We are warned against vain deceit and man-made philosophy in Colossians 2, 8-9. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So this is all happening because people are following personalities as opposed to reading the word on their own. 
The word of God specifically says in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit shall teach you all things. So the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. People are not reading or asking the Holy Spirit if a teacher is false or not. So what they quote scripture. So did Satan when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Let us not forget that. The church has to test the spirits and be able to receive correction and open rebuke. This in turn is leading into idolatry, sadly. How many Jesuses are out there? Everyone loves the hippie kind of Jesus they made in their minds, but they forget the bold rebuking Jesus that whipped people in the synagogue, turned over tables, or the one that told his disciples in Matthew 15, 16, are ye also yet without understanding? We need to stop acting like the world. Love of the world is enmity with God. 1 John 2, 15 to 18. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is in the last time, as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come even now, are there many. If the church is chasing everything but God, where are our loyalties? Who then are we serving? Now, touching on Ahab, his wife Jezebel is also entangled with idolatry and divination. She worshiped the god of Baal, and we see that spirit rear its ugly head in the American church. I'm talking about the Jezebel spirit. That spirit is using people to divine on others their will. God gives us free will. Anyone that does the contrary is operating under that Jezebel Antichrist spirit. Jezebel uses, used aggression, seduction, and manipulation to get her way. We see this in 1 Kings 16 and 2 Kings 9. I highly suggest reading that. When any person, male or female, is influenced by that spirit, they will create strife and division. They will kill the true prophets of God by attempting to tarnish their reputation. How is that accomplished by monitoring spirits? These are spirits that will use the person to watch the object of their desire and acquire ammunition to use later on in the hopes of manipulating or destroying that person. So that's found in Ezekiel 13 and 18 to 23. And I'm going to go ahead and read that here for you. Thus saith the Lord God, woe to the women that sew pillows to all armholes and make kerchiefs upon the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will ye hunt the souls of my people? And will ye save the souls alive that come unto you? And will ye pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die and to save the souls alive that should not live by your lying to my people that hear your lies? Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against your pillows wherewith ye there hunt the souls to make them fly. I will tear them from your arms. I will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt to make them fly. Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. 
because with the lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Therefore ye shall see no more vanity, nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. This is a prime example of how monitoring spirits work to ensnare the believer by watching and waiting for an opportunity to attempt to destroy them. They are being influenced to do evil. Now, a clear contrast to Jezebel is Abigail, but I want to touch more about uh, uh, upon Jezebel's nature. So Jezebel's nature was idolatrous. She worshipped the false god in addition to greed and power. Examples of our idols can be self and our desires as opposed to God's will, such as spouses and material possessions. Please don't get me wrong. A man that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Keyword, man. If the intentions are not godly, then God will not honor that desire. Again, God provides what we need, not what we want. Most are not ready to be a spouse. Marriage is about selflessness and sacrifice. If brethren can't be good to each other, how can they be good to a spouse? A great example of this is between David and Saul. David understood spiritual laws and refused to harm God's anointed. Meanwhile, the church is hurting one another. What happened to the verse, deny yourself, pick up your cross, but are we doing that? Everything we get from God is to glorify him, not to satisfy our flesh or carnal desires. James 4.3, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now the New King James Version goes like this. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Those are idols. Now, touching upon mistreatment, let's discuss unforgiveness. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's found in Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Forgiveness is more for the person that was transgressed against. However, it should not be used in the attempt to manipulate someone into allowing them back into your life. God is a good God promoting peace and harmony. How can there be such a thing if a person is truly unrepentant and will continue to disrespect and use this as a way to maintain an unhealthy and unwanted attachment? One cannot stir up strife and provoke the other into continual sin. Now, Proverbs 17, 19 says, He loveth transgression that loveth strife, and he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. Why would you want to self-destruct by bringing strife? Isaiah 54, 15 to 16 says, Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. Psalm 35, 4-6 says, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. 
Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. More so, who that has the Holy Spirit would continually want to put up with it. Strife is the opposite of what God created. Those are very great points. And I want to get on one more thing, Sister Mel. I don't know of any other way to say this other than just to say it, because some people need it in layman's terms. They just don't get it. You start quoting the word and they start going off into their own little world. You know, I don't want to be rude. They have to listen. And sometimes you have to say it just the way it is to get the point across. And this may step on a few toes, but I'd rather offend you into heaven than love you into hell. These things I'm about to discuss are idols. And what you need to ask yourself when you hear me say all this is, do you love that more? Or do you love this sin more than you love Jesus? And are you willing to continue to nail him to the cross and do these things after you've been told about them? So let's be real for a second. You talked about marriage earlier. And here's the thing about this. And I'm mainly talking to the men here. And let's be clear, it's the women too. But they want to have a wife. They want to have a godly wife. But how can you have a godly wife when you have not even sanctified your flesh yet? I mean, you can't treat people like scum in your life when it requires selflessness to have a wife, like you were saying earlier. And how are you supposed to be honored. How is God going to honor that prayer? You ask a miss, how can he honor that prayer when you're constantly looking at pornography and entertaining sins of the flesh? Guys, that is a spirit of lust and perversion. If you don't crucify that first, what's to stop you from doing it once you do get married? Then you're going to be in adultery. And whether you know it or not, it's adultery on the Lord. I mean, come on, you know, let's be honest here. This is getting to a point of insanity. And it's not even just that. We're putting all these other wants before the needs. And what they need right now is Jesus. They need their heart to be circumcised. They need to deny themselves. They need healing. They need deliverance. I mean, people need to be seeking the kingdom of God first. They cannot be in the flesh. They cannot be of the world. Well, I want to do what God wants me to do, but I have to, I'm pursuing my career, and I have to go to college, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And it's, or it's, I, I, well, I know that things are coming, so I want to go travel and do this and do that. It's like, yeah, and by the way, while you're doing that, you are wasting all this time. And are you not understanding that time is of the essence? Do you not take the Lord seriously? I have been giving for over two years warnings. Others have been giving warnings longer than that of what time it is. This is not time to be playing in the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So you say, you know, out of one side of your mouth, you want to do God's will and you want to be near to him, but then you don't even make time for him. And you're doing all these other things, running around, taking trips, playing video games, drinking, drugs, sports, 
partying, living your best life now, obsessed with career, obsessed with college, obsessed with someone in your life, and you're not even making time for him. So how is he supposed to honor anything else? And then I want a wife or I want a husband. And it's like this obsession. You know, it's the gimme, 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 gimme mentality. Not, Lord, what would you have me do? What do I need to get right in my life? And it's like, well, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do, or there's something, there's some kind of sin in your life. How can he honor those prayers? And what's going to happen is people are going to be obsessed with these things up until the very end, if they don't learn how to get it under control now. And then judgments are going to be falling left and right, which they're already starting to. Look what's happening in New York and New Jersey. Look what just happened in Hawaii. Look what happened in Nevada. Look what happened in California. And um, you don't know when your time's going to be up. And then you're going to be wishing you had done what you were supposed to do all that time. And then what's going to happen? How can the Lord provide for you, keep you, and protect you if you won't submit to the refining in his will and abide in him now? You're going to be searching for the truth during a very chaotic time. And when persecution starts to arise, which it will at some point here, it's coming. I mean, it's already starting. You know, true colors are coming out. Uh, people are not who they seem to be. They're making laws. It's just not out in the open yet. Remember what I've said before. They have to give the illusion of freedom while they get everything lined up. And by the time that's completed, it'll be too late then when you're on the run for your life. And if not that, then what are you going to do? Forfeit your salvation by falling for the great deception? Taking the mark? Denying Jesus as your savior? I mean, don't you see the problem here? Or are you stuck in unbelief? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to level with you here and be very direct. It is hard enough to go through the refining when times are somewhat still normal, if you can even call it that anymore. It's going to be much harder when all this starts, and really it already has. Any time we have left now is by the grace of God and his mercy on us. And ladies and gentlemen, we only have a limited amount of time left to get our spiritual houses in order. What choice are you going to make today? Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. You cannot be saved and continue to do things that you know are contrary. Even the word says we are not to continue to use our newfound freedom to continue to sin. That's Galatians 5.13. And yet it continues because people think that we have all this time to get our act together, and we don't. How can you forfeit the love of Jesus? He's calling and calling and calling and calling and getting your attention through all these little micro-judgments. You know, he's saying, come away from her, my son. Come away from her, my daughter. Come to me. Focus on me. Not everything and everyone else. Come to me. I love you. You're weary, and I want to give you rest. I want to heal you of these afflictions. But it's this rejection. It's this apathy. Well, he's calling you and trying to get your attention. No, I'm going to go do what I want. Yeah, I hear what's being said, but I want to do this because it makes me feel better. And does that make you mad to hear that? Well, it should make you mad. Good. Because you should fight for your salvation. You should fight for what's right. You should stand for Jesus. And you should be a witness for him, because there is literally a war on for our very souls at this time. 
And we need to be very well aware of it and stop playing games. Be careful, because this is exactly what I was just talking about. And this spirit is on the loose right now. And it needs to be fought against. And that is the power of combating these things with the word. And that's what I was talking about earlier. And God wants to show you that. But how can he when you don't make the time for him? You know, many are being called. They're being called by the Lord. People are seeing 1111 can mean new beginnings, can mean a wake-up call. It can also mean double judgment. But they're not stepping into what they're being called to do. They're choosing to still chase everything else and every other lust of the heart. Or they're putting everybody else first. Their friends, their parents, their kids. Yes, those can be idols. The activities, their work, their status, their vanity, the pride of life, their social status, etc. And so on and so on and so on. And worse is making excuses. And then when these things happen... When war arrives, when the Antichrist comes onto the scene, and you're in lack, and there's destruction, it'll be, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Well, he turned his back, because you kept chasing everything else, instead of pursuing him. I mean, you chose to reject those he sent, and you, in essence, rejected him. You wanted none of his counsel. You wanted no wisdom. You wanted what your flesh wanted. That's your idol. Anything that takes precedence over the Lord in a relationship with him, when you don't reflect or it's only, only when you need something, that's an idol. That you're in idolatry if you're pursuing other things. That's the bottom line. I mean, there comes a point. He'll even tell his servants, those who hear him, stop praying for that person. Stop praying for that sister or that brother. I've given them over to their heart's desires. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not where you want to end up. And this is why this plays in with the divination spirit. Because there are those who are listening to what they want to hear, or they're deceived by their own hearts. Remember, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can know it? They're walking in their own counsel. And we need to get to a point where we understand the problem and we're willing to do something about it and commit ourselves to the Lord. We cannot be walking around saying that we're honoring Jesus, but we're living in sin and chasing everything else. And then on top of it, we're making an image of God for ourselves in the way we want everything to be. Like, oh, it's okay. He would want me to do this. Well, why wouldn't he want me to do this? Why would he? Because sometimes there is suffering in the refining. That's why. Sometimes you have to sit on your hands. You can't just keep running all over the place and thinking, well, tomorrow I'll do it, or next week I'll do it, or next month I'll do it, or next year I'll do it. Remember that God is merciful, and he disciplines those he loves, but he will call and call and call and call for a certain amount of time, and then it stops. He'll give you over to your heart's desires. If you desire those things more than him, he'll give you over to it, or he'll remove the idols to teach you a lesson. And he'll do that due to the lack of time that's left to get everything right. I mean, remember that the Lord chastises those who are his. He disciplines them. I mean, what else can a loving father do to a child that's misbehaving 
or isn't coming to him in prayerful submission and isn't turning from wrong behaviors, wrong thoughts. You don't know how much time we have left. We really need to come to an understanding of where we are. And I believe this was why this was put on my heart to talk about and invite you on, sister, because there's just too much of this happening. And then the apathy, the apathy. And then you got false prophets running around, making things up. You better make sure that you're hearing correctly. Because if you're spewing falsehoods when someone's already been communicated with what they're doing and what they're supposed to do and what their role is, you, whether you know it or not, are playing a part in attacking them. And you certainly better not be going around calling them a false prophet, a witch, or uh, charismatic when you don't even have a full understanding of what that means because they pray the word like I covered earlier. There's a difference, and I explain that. There are going to be consequences for doing that. Do not think that there will not be consequences for slowing down kingdom work in these last days and then thinking it's okay to slander those who are because God sees all of that. You might think you're getting away with it and you might be in the moment, but there comes a time you'll be recompensed if you don't repent. And that is part of the monitoring spirit. Like, I'm going to watch this person and then I'm going to accuse them of everything. And half the time, that person is guilty of the very thing that they're accusing everyone else of. You see how that works? I laid that out at the beginning when I talked about the coming persecution and what they did to Jesus. Because what you're doing, whether you realize it or not, is you are playing a part in satanic distractions. You are in line with the enemy if you are distracting someone from getting kingdom work done and helping those who are lost or backslidden. This is a time to be focusing on getting right with the Lord and doing what we're supposed to be doing for him and living in his will, abiding in him. And if you're doing that, you better stop while you're ahead. You better stop while you're ahead. And this is your first and last warning. Because what you don't realize is when you're doing that, you're storing up terrible judgment for yourself. Terrible judgment. And that is a word for someone. Stop the manipulation. Stop the lying. Repent. There are too many lost souls right now, and the Christian body needs to stop the infighting. A house divided cannot stand. Remember that. Stop wasting time over foolish arguments and stupid things that do not matter and are not helpful. That's the truth. We covered the consequences of stirring strife earlier in the podcast. We really need to get our heads out of our rear end, guys. I'm sorry, you know. These things are going to start happening. And you know what I've heard in spirit? Keep your eyes on me and not the waves around you. And what's happening is people are running to these comforts because they don't want to face what's coming. It's easier to deny it and say, oh, I've got all this time. I've got all this time. I'll just worry about it later. Let me just sweep it under the rug. And by the way, if you're one of those, you certainly won't have a healthy relationship because if you're willing to sweep everything under the rug constantly and you don't want to face it, I got news for you. That's dismissal whether you know it or not, and you can't even resolve a problem or sanctify your flesh, give me a break. You need to get yourself right first and correct what's wrong and do a heart examination. Reflect on the matters of your heart and what's really there and what your intentions are. You know, if your heart's broken, if you've been abused, 
ask the Lord for a new heart. Say, Lord, create in me a new heart because I need to let go of these hurts. I'm building up walls and I don't want these walls. They're hurting me, Lord. They're hurting me. Cry out. Cry out for forgiveness. Cry out for healing. Do the 40 decrees of healing. Guys, this is the value of praying the word. This is why I did God's promises. This is why I did that series. And really, I never even completed it. But pray his word. He just wants you to build a relationship with him. If you keep running to everything else to be your comfort, how can he be your comforter? How can he repair and fix what's broken? Listen, you have to get your priorities in check and seek what is truly important right now. And that is a relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. He is your healer. He is your provider. And no one can come to the Father except through him. And you need to be doing that now, not later. You need to have him as your number one priority and nothing else. Because if you don't and you keep asking, the danger is the devil will send you a decoy. Don't think that that can't happen. Because we're entering into a season now where there's decoys being sent out. And that's part of this too. This is all part of why I'm talking about divination and idolatry today. To snap you out of it. To get you on the right track. So you will seek the Lord and Him first. Then these things can be added to you. If you keep going the wrong way, and you can't even forgive, and you can't even be selfless, and you're commandeering about everything, but then you just want to do whatever you want and get what you want out of it, do you think that prayer is going to be honored? No. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to have blessings. What I'm saying is he wants you to put his son first. Jesus needs to be first in your life, and you need to be working on refining these sins out. And like I said, there's no gain if there's no suffering. You have to sit on your hands. You have to deny yourself. You have to deny your flesh. You have to seek him. Then make your request known. And you need to be confessing your sins. When you sin, you need to confess those sins and repent. I mean, that's just the bottom line. This is where we are right now. And there is a lot of this going on right now. And then the I don't care attitude on top of it. And that needs to stop. Sis, did you have anything else to add? Because, you know, between Glinda's podcast and all the times I've talked about idolatry, I really don't know what else you could add to that. Comments? The, uh, here's my perspective. And I really do want to touch about the forgiveness and unforgiveness. Just because you are forgiven doesn't necessarily mean that the person needs to let you back in their lives. Okay. Forgiveness is a release. They have forgiven you. You're, you're, they're no longer angry or you have no, you know, uh, they are not emitting an emotion uh, of hurt. Uh, they're forgetting about what has been done, what has transpired. But again, I must stress the fact that that doesn't necessarily mean that you can come back into the person's life. That doesn't give anybody a green light. And I, I set this example to one person. I said, okay, so if somebody murdered your family, you can forgive them, but are you going to hang out with them? You know, I mean, I don't think that would be a healthy, conducive thing. You just want them to move on with their life. You pray for them. 
you wish them the best. You wish that they no longer fall into that temptation and open the doors to the enemy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to hang out with you. You murdered their family. Let's be realistic. It's, it, it's not conducive. So I just wanted to bring that to the forefront. A lot of people misunderstand that you can love a person from a distance. Because in the spirit, there's, no, there's really no distance. But we have to be realistic in, in certain terms where, especially if the person is unrepentant and they continue with certain behaviors, they may forgive you, but you can initially provoke something else. And that's not of God. God did not create chaos. God did not create confusion. God does not like strife or disharmony. He wants everybody to get along and be in one accord, like the upper room. But we're not seeing that. We have everybody pulling for their wants and their needs and loving self and loving the desires of the world, like a, a degree or an education or a career or a spouse or what have you, more than advancing the kingdom. And that is why God is so grieved. We have lost sight of what's really important. And that's why the word of God said that you said that in the beginning, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these things will be added on to you. We need to really focus on Jesus and getting these lost souls saved, introducing Jesus to people, not our selfish desires, because that is idolatry. And then when you think you're hearing from the Lord, but you're imposing your will as opposed to God's will, that is a form of divination. And we have to be very, very, very careful and adhere to the word of God. And I also want to address the apathy that's going on in the church of God, which it shouldn't be. Uh, we see too many people not caring about one another. They are more invested in self than their brother or their sister or even the widow and the orphan. I, this has to stop. This not caring. I don't want to talk. Um, uh, if I don't hear from a brother, I'm sure he's okay. This is not how God intended it. When we read the gospel, when we read the letters of Paul, and, and you can feel the love that the churches that he's established between those churches and between him and those churches, he was like a father. He was, you know, and you, and that love is felt in those letters. What happened to that? We don't, there's nothing that's even closely resembling that. Um, people just don't care. They're just so preoccupied and wound up into, in the cares of this world that they have lost sight, you know, of what really matters. You know, there's a passage in the Bible that says true religion is, you know, taking care of the widow and the orphans. We're not even doing that. We're not taking care of people that really need to be cared for. We, we don't care about the elderly. We don't care about our neighbor. We don't care about our brethren. What is that? You know, if we're purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ and we are all children of God, we are all spiritually brothers and sisters, right? How, I mean, how do you treat your own brother or your sister? I mean, that's atrocious. We, we are not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to not care. Uh, you know, I mean, we're supposed to drop a line, an email, you know, uh, make sure everybody's okay. Hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? You know, that's that's charity. That's what the Bible talks about. 
If I have the tongues of man and of angel, but have not charity, I am like a clanging symbol. I don't care if you operate in all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have love, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You got nothing. Love is all, it's, it's a gift and a fruit. Love is very important. Okay. Love is very important. And let me tell you, a lot of times people don't feel like they're being loved when you correct them either. But that's a form of love. Because you are tired of seeing your brother or your sister bound by Satan. This is why these rebukes come. To wake you up, to pluck Amen. you out of that, to deliver you out of that bondage. That is love. Because we don't want you to burn in hell. We, do, we want you to be in the wholeness of God. Walking in, in, in power. You know, that I love that verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. Amen. If you are acting like you're about to lose it, we're going to bring you back because we don't want that for you. We love you, brother or sister. So this may seem harsh, but this is how God communicates. Okay. Look at a parent. A perfect example is a parent toward their, towards their children. If they see their child going down a slippery slope, they're going to get mad and yell at their kid and scare them straight. Same concept with God. This is why we can be apathetic. There's no, that word shouldn't even exist in the body of Christ. I'm sorry. That's just how I feel about it. Well, the pattern we see right now too, sister, is that, you know, Jesus even said that the love of many would wax cold as the lawlessness abounds. And if you're seeing it now and it hasn't even gotten as bad as it's going to be, it's only going to get worse. Shouldn't that tell us something? Yes, that should tell us that we need to prepare and we need to remove the foreskin of our hearts. This isn't the word of God. Our hearts should not be calloused at all. Okay, and it's concerning because which which character do you want to be? Do you want to be the one dying for Christ or do you want to be the one turning in your brother or sister into the synagogues, into the leaders to get killed? That's what I, I mean, just got which done side are you on? Yeah, and that's what I just got done talking about, you know, in the beginning, when I was talking about how the Pharisees were persecuting Jesus and how it's actually going to be the opposite. It'll be those who are chasing their idols and in the divination who will be coming after those who are the true believers and walking in the ways of the Lord. Amen. That is if they should remain on that path, I mean, you know? Mm-hmm. And well, there's a verse in the Bible that says they will think that they're doing God a favor by doing that. Yes. And those are the ones that are deceived. Those are the ones that are practicing the divination. Those are the ones that don't read the Bible for themselves. Those are the ones that are, you know, just they're they have a different Jesus. They believe in a different gospel. You know, those are the ones that are idolatrous and divining and believe and believing that divination spirit. Those are the ones that are going to believe that they're doing God a favor. And that's scary. So is that the type of person you want to be? Is that the Christian you want to be? The one that a lot of blood is going to be on your head? Or are you the one that's going to die for the sake of the gospel and be rewarded by being seated in the throne with Jesus? Because that's one of his promises in the book of Revelation. Amen. I agree. You put up a repentance message for New York too, didn't you not? Yeah, about two weeks ago, um, the Lord led me. This was like done at one o'clock in the morning. And the Lord led me. This was around 9-11. 
the Lord led me to do something about New York because it's it's just sad after 9-11, because I'm from New York originally, after 9-11, everybody was more unified and, and kinder towards each other. And then slowly, it's like the enemy began to infiltrate again, and people lost sight of that, you know, and now you see atrocious things happening in the state of New York, and that state has big time apathy, like they can see a senior citizen getting beaten down with her own cane, and they're just standing around recording it, and they don't even get involved and help the woman. This is how bad it's it's getting in New York. So the Lord is really grieved. So the Lord told them to repent. And then I come to find out that they were inundated with water. They were flooded. And these are small judgments trying, because God is so good. He's so merciful, right? He, he won't send the big stuff yet. But New York has experienced a series of weird things that has happened. Like we see the... The fires in Canada affected them. They had the smoke everywhere. And then they were flooded not too long ago. And then they got flooded out again. This was recent, like the past, what, two or three days. And God is trying to get their attention. And uh, God has been putting a burden on my heart for New York. Um, I had a vision of New York. I saw myself there. This was about a year or two ago. And uh, God put in my heart to pray and intercede for that state because there are some believers that are there. They feel very isolated. They feel very lonely. Um, they feel like they don't even want to be there because the atmosphere, the demonic atmosphere is so tangible and it's sad. There is like a heavy duty principality and it's not just New York. I mean, we see other major cities, but here's the thing that people tend to forget. New York is like the leader of America. Everybody wants to go there. Everybody looks at it. You know, the, they, they set the, the mood there the, with the fashion and the atmosphere and whatever. And they are set in a very ungodly mood that everybody's beginning to follow. And that's why God is focusing and honing in on New York because of that particular reason. So yeah, that was a video that I did about maybe, oh, recently, it was like two weeks ago, um, that the Lord led me to do it. And God said to New York, you know, what do you need another tragedy to get you to humble you to get you, you, you know, unified and kinder towards each other and bring you back? Because people out there are just, it's, and it's because they are so, some of them are really scared. Um, somebody got arrested for being a good Samaritan. See how evil is? It's, it's just, it's deplorable. Well, that's been happening a lot. I'm sorry, we must have a delay. But that's been happening a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, and that is going back to that verse that because of lawlessness, you know, and everything, we have to wake up people. Everything that's happening it's all leading to the one world government and the mark of the beast. Let's be realistic. Yep. That is, it's, it's like the, the frog boiling in the water, the slow boil. But now it's like the water's starting to bubble. Okay, church, where are you? Where's the voice of the church in all of this? You know, you have children being indoctrinated, sexually exploited. I mean, it's just, you know, it's sad. I remember in the 80s where people were, you know, they called it the satanic panic. 
you know, and, and, but let me tell you a lot of people, the mothers and the grandmothers and the parents that were really true born again, believers prayed. And a lot of people from that generation, like you and I are saved right now. We know Jesus because of their prayers. Are we going to leave a legacy like that as the church? What are we even doing as a church? We're not creating a satanic panic. We're going along to get along. We're so politically correct. We are embracing abominable things that we shouldn't even be embracing. What has happened to the church? It needs a backbone. Yep. It needs to stop being in love with the world. I agree. No, it's sad what's happening. Well, you just put a video out, sister, about Second uh, Timothy 2. Do you want to speak to that really quick? Because I know a lot of people are going through oh, things yeah. right now as well. It's not everybody, you know, is misbehaving, but there needs, you know, at the same time, we want to encourage as well. Yes, because of the trials and tribulations that a lot of the believers are beginning to experience, my encouragement is, you know, and it's sad to say, this is part of the encouragement. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but it's only going to get worse. However, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, it says that we are soldiers and we have to endure hardness because it's all worth it. It really is at the end. And and those that really believe in the afterlife and those that really believe that Jesus is real, they're going to overcome. Those that are not bound and tethered to the cares of this world, those are the ones that are going to overcome. I mean, we have to realize that what are we investing in? Are we investing in the here and now or are we investing in the eternal you know, Paul writes everything that he went through for the sake of the gospel, and he's not ashamed. He goes, you know, I'm considered evil because I'm preaching that my in my gospel. And I love that. I found that interesting how he said, I'm preaching the resurrection of Jesus according to my gospel. See, that's an indication to me right there that there were different gospels going around. And he said it because two believers, well, alleged believers, they were saying that Jesus didn't resurrect. So we already start begin seeing, even in, in, in the Bible, the confusion and how Satan infiltrates the church. And, and Paul just clarified that. He's like, I am going to endure all the suffering and hardships because I know that I know that I know that I know, according to my gospel, that Jesus indeed resurrected. And there is life after death. We are not going to experience the second death if we overcome. And people are too preoccupied, you know, and I mean, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We are on this earth. Yes, God can bless us. Yes, God can give us things. But, but there, the priority has to be God first, his kingdom First, this is what Jesus spoke when he encapsulated the Ten Commandments into two. Love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, basically with every fabric of your being, and then love your neighbor as yourself, right? But we're not doing that. We're not really loving God. I'm sorry to say, because we're not putting him first. We're not. 
And that is very sad. And that's why I was led to do the second Timothy, because those that are true believers, they're going to endure a lot of hardships for the sake of the Bible, but it's okay. It's expected. This is what Paul wrote. So don't dismay. Don't despair. Don't get discouraged. Just keep going forward for the sake of something that's so valuable and worth it. Good advice. Praise God. Well, Sister Mel, I appreciate you coming on and uh, giving your input on the podcast today. Thank you for having me on. Did you want to, by chance, give out your YouTube channel, or are you still working on that? Uh, I know you put videos up sometimes. I mean, I can. Yes, it's a long title. It's uh, My YouTube channel is called The Daughter of the Most High 201, I believe. And I have... Uh, my little avatar is a face in the armor of God. <laughs> so in armor. Sister Mel, again, I thank you for being on. And um, I pray that this message today was a blessing for everyone. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for you this week. Thank you for listening. And may God bless you all. Stay vigilant out there.